I'm Mary Nightingale. Welcome to the Piper Podcast, How I Grew My Brand. Today, I'm with Rada Vias and Lee Thompson, founders of Flashpack, a lifestyle travel company specialising in adventure trips for small groups of solo travellers in their 30s and 40s. Founded in 2014, Flashpack turned over its first million in 2016-17 and now has an eight-figure turnover. It's grown from a back-bedroom start-up offering one trip to a global business that takes customers from right around the world to more than 70 destinations. Pretty impressive growth. Welcome, Lee and Rada. Thanks for having us. Hi. It's very nice to meet you. So, first of all, explain to me exactly what Flashpack does. So we do small group adventures for solo travellers in their 30s and 40s. Pre-Flashpack, this demographic were largely ignored by the travel industry. If you wanted to travel on your own, that would mean travelling by yourself, which sometimes could be great, sometimes could be a little bit boring. Or if you went on a group tour, uh, and there are many to choose from, um, you could travel with 18-year-olds who haven't travelled before or 80-year-olds who may not want the same pace as travel uh, as you. So what we did is we came and fitted right in the middle there and realised it was all about being away with like-minded people and doing a great trip with them. Whose idea was it? It was my idea um, and it came about because I was in my 30s and I was at a point in my life where... I'd been working really hard and, like most people, kind of looked at travel as a way of escaping and getting some fun into my life. And, you know, when you when you have any any problems in life, you just the first thing you think of is travel, right? And so I was in that space. And uh, so I started kind of looking to recruit a friend to go on holiday with and uh, found that my social circle had shrunk somewhat. Like, everybody was really busy, you know. It was, it's hard enough to arrange dinner with a friend in London these days, let alone arrange a two-week holiday. So after kind of trying to find find somebody to travel with a friend of mine recommended I go on a group tour and I remember feeling distinctly offended that she suggested this to me well it was like a kind of sados thing to do was it right right I was like well you know I don't need that I'm an independent traveler I've traveled solo all my life what do I need to go on a group tour for but it was really it was a concept that was really intriguing and it kind of conjured up images of big groups of people in matching hats so I started looking at the industry and just saw this big gaping hole for a really cool lifestyle brand that was appealing to people like me um, in their 30s and 40s who had disposable income, who wanted a dynamic adventure, but wanted a boutique hotel at the end of the day and could afford it and would like to travel with other people and meet new friends, um, but really kind of found it a a big pain point maybe booking with other group tour operators who couldn't guarantee who you were traveling with and you know I mean talking talking to strangers for two weeks um, can be pretty painful experience if you don't like small talk I mean us Brits you know we don't we don't really particularly (laughs) like small talk that much so um, I thought this was a really good problem to solve and something I could do really well so I started looking at the industry and realized that um, solo travel was on the up um, the singles market was growing people were settling down much later in life people were focusing on their careers especially women in tandem the adventure travel segment was growing 65% year on year there was this whole shift towards spending money on from material things to on experiences and I just realized it was a really big opportunity and it just felt like a perfect fit for me. But you actually went on on a group tour didn't you mm. that was a disappointing experience in itself and was, was that partly what helped you to shape 
what you wanted your idea not to be, in a sense. I felt like I was being forced to choose between kind of holidays for young budget backpackers who maybe wanted to party quite a lot and slower-paced travel on the more luxury side for a more senior audience. And I was something in between, and there was just no brand out there that appealed to me. And the tour that you went on that you didn't enjoy, describe what it was like. It was nice enough. It was, um, you know, it was really well run. The guide was lovely. The people were really friendly, but there were about 10 to 15 years younger than me. The tour started in a quite basic hotel in Thailand and we were all kind of sat around a table. There was 20 of us and everybody was forced to introduce themselves and and a, and a really nice, fresh-faced Italian girl started. She said, hi, I'm like Fabiana and I'm 18. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> I, had to, I had to admit that I was 33. Um, and I felt, for the first time in my life, I felt quite old and out of place. Um, and I didn't want to spend my time sitting in tourist restaurants eating kind of watery noodles because that's what was kind of prescribed to avoid anybody getting any kind of travel bug I wanted to get out there and experience Thailand and it just it was it was a little bit bland I suppose. Mm. How did you two actually meet because that I guess was the start of the whole thing wasn't it? Yes, we actually met on a dating website. We were matched through our mutual love of travel and business and just so happened to live about half a mile around the corner from each other. And on our first date, we were getting on great. We talked about travel and Rada says, oh, I've got this great business idea. And as soon as she mentioned this concept, I just got it immediately because actually I was in the same conundrum. I, my friends were all busy. None of them were wanted to travel with me because they wanted to go away with their partners. It was like a light bulb moment for me as well as you. We then spent, I think, the next two or three weeks together going on dates, but actually like researching the travel industry. So we went to uh, an adventure travel show, uh, went to the library and just read up on, on, on setting up a business in the travel industry, planned a trip to like the most adventurous location we could think of to see if our relationship could survive it and to see if we've got what it takes to set up a business. So about a couple of months later, I think we booked Sierra Leone. I mean, it's a fantastic country. It's got beautiful white sandy beaches, and but this is real adventure travel. There's not really any roads. We hired a driver, but I ended up driving him around because he couldn't drive. Um, <laughs> it was a real adventure, and we got on great, and we knew at the end of it that we had what it took to set up a business. Where did the name actually come from? I was in the pub with a friend of mine and describing to her this new travel company we're about to set up um, based on this ethos of adventure travel but in style and comfort. And she said, oh, yeah, that's called flash packing. I thought, oh, that's brilliant. That's what we're doing. It's flash packing. Um, just better backpacking and so I think on the back of that um, I went home and I said to Lee oh you know um, it's um, actually what we're doing there's a term around it. it's called flash packing and this is how people want to travel these days and I think we're listening to the rat pack and we just turned around and said why don't we just call it the flash pack <laughs> that's, that's how it happened we just stuck with it let's just go back if we may to life before flash pack and what were you both doing I'd built my career in the third sector and the charity sector was a real passion of mine but I was in fundraising which was the um, money side of charity I suppose the business side of charity which pushed all my buttons and um, I really wanted to set up my own business so I set up a fundraising consultancy raising money from high net worth individuals for clients like Macmillan Cancer Support and Citizens Advice Bureau which I loved but I was always looking for that kind of big scalable business idea and what about you, Lee? You, you were in journalism, weren't you? Yeah, so I worked as a photojournalist. I um, had a really um, privileged career, got to travel to over 100 different countries, covering all kinds of things like war zones in Af- Afghanistan, Iraq, um, 
the Egyptian Revolution, um, Libyan Civil War, um, where I was actually bizarrely the first person to discover Colonel Gaddafi's body just after he was killed. So I had like this crazy career. Um, why that's interesting for what I'm doing now is that I used to travel so much off the beaten path and to destinations that people didn't even know about, never mind visit it. So I guess I've injected a lot of that passion into Flashpack and it's all about going off the beaten path and really thinking about things differently when travelling. So you were independent, you you were self-employed when you were a journalist. Did you see yourself as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I was a freelance um, photojournalist um, and as part of that job, you you know, you roll up in places and you have to tell a story through a picture. So in some ways, I'm always curating stories, um, which is what I do with running the Flashpack brand. It's all about creating like an amazing narrative. What do you, what do you call yourself? You're the buzz. You, you... <laughs> I did call myself uh, Chief Buzzmaker for a while. Chief Buzzmaker. <laughs> yeah, um, I should really keep that. But I'm, I'm now Chief Growth Officer. So it's gone all, gone all a little bit serious. Do you come from families of entrepreneurs? My parents were definitely enterprising. So we grew up with my parents always had a side hustle of a catering business. They were amazing, amazing chefs. My sister and I were always enlisted to knead dough and make thousands of chapatis for people and, and serve up. So I definitely grew up in an enterprising household. My parents always had a dream of um, opening their own restaurant. And they never did because I think they felt they had to put three kids through university and they could never quite take the risk. So I think I grew up watching my parents have a dream I knew from a very young age I wanted to run my own business and it was more it's not really for the money I have to be honest it's for the freedom freedom was always really important to me I went to live in uh, France for a year before I went to university and then I did a year at Madrid University then after uni I went to live in Chile and travel was super important just having that freedom to make choices in my life so I knew that entrepreneurship was a way to get more freedom in my life Um, but I definitely that kind of sheer work ethic was instilled from a young age from my parents. You've said that having no previous experience in the travel industry was actually quite helpful and has has enabled you to think differently about it. Yeah, definitely. I think in order to do something disruptive, it's an advantage not to have worked in the industry in which you want to disrupt um, because you apply a different approach to problem solving. You're not encumbered by preconceived ideas or status quo of how things should be done. And I think that's definitely been the success factor behind Flashpack. I guess we're a bit naive, um, positively naive perhaps, um, that we could just launch a, a global brand that, and a global product that appeals to everybody um, and do it all um, in one go and uh, yeah and I think that's been I think it's, it's been a real advantage that we just didn't have that experience um, however we have both been you know avid travellers we've both travelled all, all our lives um, and I think that definitely has been an advantage that we knew uh, we knew how to curate design and develop amazing product for our audience Flashpack is really based around the way that Rada and I like to travel we are our customers spotting the gap And then knowing what that audience want was the kind of easy bit. Um, Now it's all about scaling up. Mm. Um, Piper believes there are key inflection points in a business where things need to step change, which they call 7-17-70. This could be in terms of turnover or number of sites or or number of people. Tell me about the challenges in the early years of your business. Yeah, I think... um... 
as entrepreneurs, we all think we're on this kind of really unique journey. And then you speak to other people who have set up businesses and realise that everyone's got the same pain points and it's the same roller coaster ride for everybody. So I can definitely identify with those inflection points. And um, we've definitely experienced um, pain points at each of those in Flashpack. So at seven people, we're in a tiny office and we're all mucking in and um, doing a bit of everything. Lee and I were very much in the weeds of the business. We we're looking after customers, designing products, managing everyone, making every decision in the business. When we were got to 17 people, you know, establishing processes was much more important than kind of being scrappy. So we hired our first senior manager, a head of operations, to kind of help scale the business and whip us into shape effectively. And just to interrupt for a moment, this was at what point in terms of how long you'd been in existence? Because you launched in 2014. Mm. Um, end of 2016-17, we were already at seven people. Yeah, January 18, we hired our first senior manager. At that point, we realised that we, you know, we needed to scale the business. And um, head of operations, his mandate was, don't let the business break as we grow. <laughs> so, Did you see that as a real risk? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we're still very, very scrappy. There weren't very many processes in place. Um, Decision making was very reactive. It was very instinctive. Um, we're very much now driven by data in all our decision making because we have to get very, very comfortable with people making decisions on our behalf while we focus on growth. Um, so it was very important to get to a point where um, decision making in the business was data driven and not based on instinct. You're at how many employees now? 55. 55. So yeah. you're well on your way to 70. Then. Yes. I like the way you describe it as pain points. There were genuine stresses and difficulties at those points. Yeah, absolutely. I think to get to that next inflection point, you have to adapt and change your leadership style to steer the business. And that's the most interesting thing for us is who we've been forced to become to achieve that success or get to that next inflection point. See, Lee is no longer the chief buzzmaker. <laughs> no. <laughs> You've had to grow up, Lee. I've had to grow up. Yeah, like... Um, I'd still say on the uh, zero to seven, I think that was the most difficult part of this whole journey so far, um, because trying to sell a product that is two and a half thousand pounds average spend uh, without any online reviews or any credibility was honestly the most difficult thing we've ever had to do. It very nearly didn't get off the ground at all, did it? The first seven months, we definitely made a bit of noise. We had a good social media presence. We had some PR. Um, we had a couple of good trips that stood out. But no one was buying our trips. It's as simple as that. The phone would never ring. When Nobody... you say you had a couple of good trips, what do you mean? You went on a couple of good trips. No, no, no. We launched with Sierra Leone because we went up there on our, on our first date. And we had like a, a trip which was driving Vespers around the Spanish countryside they were quite good products to launch with because they made us stand out. They said, here's a company who are thinking about things differently. Uh, but they didn't sell. <laughs> they just made us look cool. So we launched the business. We started with £15,000 um, between us. We built a website. We put some money on Google AdWords. And I think we got one or two bookings on Sierra Leone and the Vespa trip. Um, but it was not enough to get a group together and really get the business going. And about seven months in, we had that dreaded, shall we give up conversation. And we both decided that we were going to go all out with our last thousand pounds. And it was almost like a stroke of luck. I happened to notice a picture pop up on my Facebook feed of two workmen popping their heads out of Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro. I've never seen anybody go to the top of it before. I didn't even know you could do it. And as soon as I saw it, I turned to Rado and I said... I'm going to persuade them to let me to the top of that statue 
I'm going to take a selfie because the whole world's going selfie crazy. This is back in 2014. And it's just before the Brazil World Cup. If I can get that picture, it's going to go viral and it will tell everyone around Flash, about Flashpack. I didn't even know what viral meant. I thought he <laughs> meant we'd get a couple of a couple of newspaper articles on the back of this. I wasn't even sure what you were talking about, but I signed off £800 for a plane ticket to Brazil. <laughs> you fell for it. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it actually did work, didn't it? So, so explain what happened. Flew to Brazil, doorstepped the head of the archdiocese in um, Rio. The old journalism skills coming into it, play It's exactly there. what yeah. it, you play to your strengths, right? Yeah. So I, I did. And he came out and I said, look, I'm from the UK. I just want to go to the top of the statue. I know you can do it because I've seen a picture. Please, will you let me go up there, take a picture? I think it's going to go viral and it's going to show the whole world how magnificent Rio is when you're getting quite a lot of bad press just before the World Cup. And he said, fine, you're crazy, but come back tomorrow. I'll give you the key and you can go and do it. So I went back the next <laughs> There's day. There's a key? There's a key to the Christ the Redeemer statue. <laughs> Uh, so I went up the spiral staircase right to the top. First of all, popped my head out of the uh, shoulder of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I bet no one's ever said this that on surreal. this podcast. And then let them take me to the, the head of it, pulled myself up on some rope, popped my head out the top. It, it made me breathless, like when I reached, when I looked down and saw the whole of Rio de Janeiro. And I took a selfie on a GoPro camera. I couldn't actually see it at the time because they didn't have a screen on the back of it. So I just kept everything crossed that it turned out. As soon as I saw that picture, I knew it was going to go insanely viral. Like I knew it. And uh, what's really funny is at the bottom of the um, statue, a priest actually blessed me. Uh, and I, for the first time ever, I think, said a little prayer. And you knew that that was the key? As soon as I took it. OK, so explain what viral actually meant. First of all, it was about timing. So we waited for two weeks before the World Cup hype really started. And what we planned to do was build a video uh, of me going to the top of it. And wherever this picture was picked up at, it would always say, link back to flashpack.com to look at the video. And the picture, almost overnight, hit every single country in the world. It had 1.1 million hits to flashback.com in two days. And this you sold as the first ever selfie with Jesus. First ever selfie with Jesus, yeah. It's quite a tagline, isn't it? It was. We did think about calling it getting high with Jesus, and we thought it was (laughs) maybe a bit controversial, (laughs) so we changed it to first ever selfie. Crucially, it gained Flashpack all of our first customers. People were going online and booking £2,000 trips of us without even getting in touch. We kept thinking they were um, fake bookings, but it was real. And it gave us the momentum, crucially, to continue doing Flashpack and really give it everything. We knew we had a really good concept. You're listening to The Piper Podcast with the founders of Flashpack, Radha Vias and Lee Thompson. You started with 15,000 that you put into the business yourselves uh, to begin with. Did you take on additional funding? We did raise a seed round in 2016 from some angel investors. We raised 250,000. To be honest, we didn't really need it, but the Brexit referendum was looming and we weren't really sure what was going to happen. And being a travel company, you're kind of always affected by these macro issues. And since then, we've been self-funding our growth. It has meant that we've had to bootstrap the company, but we've done that really successfully. And I think and I think that's been the key. Explain um, what you mean by that. 
It means that you have to manage every single penny. We had to learn everything ourselves and we had to be very, very focused with what we were doing. And I think that that has been the key to our success, even though it's been excruciating for a long time. We weren't the first people on the payroll. <laughs> um, we didn't take a salary until 2016. I think in hindsight, we could have been a bit further ahead if we had raised sooner. Do you think you were maybe overcautious? Was, was that kind of part of the inexperience that you talked about? I think we were lucky in that we had a cash generative business, so we didn't really ever need the funds. And yes, we were cautious with the money. Like We'd never set up a business before, so we're learning everything from scratch. And I think we're conscious that if we did have a lot of money in the bank, if we just raised a lot of money from the outset, I think inexperience would have meant we we would have wasted a lot of money. We would have made um, different decisions. Um, but yeah, maybe in hindsight, we could have raised a bit sooner. I'm just wondering what advice you'd give to other founders at a similar stage or on their journey. I think everybody's company is different. And we were definitely growing a venture business. We had venture growth. We're growing, you know, sometimes 200%, 300% once we forex our growth. So everybody's journey is different. And some businesses don't have the luxury of being cash generative. But I think my advice in general would be raise when you don't need the money. And that's what we did in 2016. We didn't really need it, but we weren't sure what was coming. So we just wanted to ensure we had money in the bank to weather any any kind of macro political issues that might threaten the business. You know, I think it's, it's like building a house, isn't it? It's always going to cost more and take more time than you think. And you want to raise enough money to get you to that next inflection point. You talk about being different. Every company is different. Now, as specialist investors in, in consumer brands, Piper really focuses on understanding what makes a particular brand better and different um, to its competitors. And we all know that travel is a very crowded market, isn't it? With lots of independent travel companies fighting for business uh, alongside the bigger corporate travel businesses. So what would you say makes Flashpack better and different? We've really defined a market. We've completely opened up a new market. We're not just stealing market share. So about 68% of our customers have never been on a group holiday before. And just to add to that, our business now is really global. So most of our customers come from the US, closely followed by the UK, Australia, Canada, Germany, Scandinavia. So what we're really doing and what we like to think we're doing is starting a movement. We realise that it's around people people first, then a great travel experience second, and that's what our main USP is. We know exactly how to talk to our customer because we are our customer and and know how to build product for them. So I think what we're really doing is building a brand purely around the needs of a 30 and 40-year-old solo traveller. We're staying really focused on it. And it is really all about the power of brand. I mean, group tours weren't the coolest concept before we came along. But we'd like to think that if someone went on one of our trips, they go back to the office on a Monday morning going, yeah, I flash-packed it. It was amazing. You should do it too. So if I wanted to come on one of your trips, what do I do? You book on as a solo traveller and it's not about being single. It's purely about independence, going on your own and meeting a new group of friends. So you would sign up um, on, on our website and... Every detail, um, apart from your international flights, and um, because people travel from all over the world, would be taken care of. So you'd arrive in a boutique hotel on day one, have cocktails on a roof terrace somewhere with views over a city, get to know your fellow flash packers by bonding. Normally on day two, there's some type of challenge, right? So in Jordan, um, we go canyoning. It's, it's brilliant fun. Um, that really bonds the group. Or in 
South Africa, we go abseiling down Table Mountain. So those types of experiences that we manufacture the trip in such a way that the group really bond together. Okay, and how do you assemble those groups? And would you ever be rejected as a potential traveller because you wouldn't fit into a group? We do a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure that we get the same like-minded people on the trip. We always make sure that people know that it's a group adventure. It's not something they're doing by themselves. So They share rooms sometimes, yes? Is that yeah, right? so flashbackers do share rooms. You can always choose your own room. And we do a lot of work, actually, with roommates. We make sure that we, we, have, we have a big survey that goes out to everybody and we match people carefully based on the, on the results of that. So it's almost like a dating service. I know it's not about romance, but it, it, you're matching people in that sense. Yeah, we often look at the dating industry um, for inspiration. Um, and I can see more on the technology side in the future of it going a lot more that way. Yes, it's all about really making sure everybody has a community mindset and I think that's what we mean about you are a solo traveller but you're travelling in a group so there is a sacrifice to be made in that you can't have everything your own way. The trip is curated for a group of people. Something I, I saw written in one of the interviews that you've done, it's all about bragging rights and I found this quite an interesting concept because in a way, modern travel, it's an exhibition sport, isn't it? It's not enough to travel anymore. You, need, you have to be seen to travel, to put your experiences on Instagram. And this is what you're about, isn't it? It's being seen to have a fabulous holiday. We've built our entire business from social media. And to actually click on a trip on the website, you need to see it on Instagram. And it needs to be clickbait. You need to go, I need to be there right now. And it's the same when you're on the trip, you want to experience, you know, climbing to the peak of a mountain, but you want to take a picture and then you want to share it with your friends. Bragging rights is, is a huge thing, um, especially if you are single um, and your friends are settling down, having babies, getting married. Um, you just want to have your moment and go, this is me doing my thing. Instagrammable moments, I call them, and we create our trips around them. The website looks beautiful because of it. And it really is clickbait, isn't it? The average travel company tends to go really heavy on stock photography. We knew right from the beginning that we had to stand out with our own photography. So we actually commission a lot of photographers and get our own photography to create that clickbait. And um, you have to have a product that stands out from the crowd. OK. So you have this very tasty product. You have your, your, your flash packers, your people that you've identified. How do you grow the business from now on because surely part of it is that sense of exclusivity if you get too big too ubiquitous that's a negative isn't it the opportunity ahead at the moment is really the u.s market americans find our trips more interesting because they want to travel to unique locations we're seeing a lot of americans that are applying for passports for the first time to take our trips and really the focus for us right now is the u.s the uk will always be a brilliant market for us but we are very much a global business. And after the US, we could start looking at Australia, Canada. So that's really where the focus is in terms of growth. But the exclusivity part is, is really interesting. And um, we have to keep being cutting edge with our trip selection. Um, we have to keep um, standing out from the crowd. So the innovation part is really, really important too. As you get older, how do you make sure that you understand what is still relevant to your target audience? I think it's through the younger workforce. You know, we have lots of lots of people in the business who are very on the pulse with new social trends. We're completely digital. We don't do any offline marketing as yet. So the younger generation are always new 
Oh, God, I sound really old now. I don't know, younger generation. <laughs> well, that's my point, you yeah. see. That's my point. <laughs> but you used do... to be the younger generation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they do, um, yes, and they, they, they're they constantly testing and trying new things and coming up with new hacks and keeping the business innovative. Mm. We also always talk to our customers all the time. So Rada does an hour um, each week working with our customer experience team talking to flash packers and I jump on the phone doing sales we both love it um, but it just gives us an opportunity to talk to, to customers all the time How many passengers travel on flash pack tours? We've had 12,000 customers travel with us so we're still quite a low volume business um, but we definitely have a much wider audience on, on social media It's actually 13 million people that sit directly in our target market so people that earn over £40,000 a year um, are happy to spend over £2,000 on a holiday plus flights. And it is a low volume business. And we, yeah, we've only had, what, 12,000 customers in total. But to hit like even a billion pounds in revenue would only mean 3% of that audience. What do you put your success down to? How, how much of it is of your own making? And, and, and how much do you think is, is luck, is timing? There's a quote by uh, Seneca, which I absolutely love, which is luck is preparation meets opportunity. And I think that's so true. The harder you work, the luckier you get. And I definitely think um, luck has definitely played um, a part in the success of Flashpack. There has been a shift towards self-care independence spending money on experiences and we were there at the right time so there's definitely some luck in timing involved i feel like we got quite lucky in that we got to ride this social media wave of organic growth before it became very expensive i always see that as one of the most luckiest things as part of our journey so as your business moves on as it as it grows how do you how do you scale it how do you maintain the culture how do you get the right people how do you perpetuate flashback as this concept hiring the right people at scale definitely when you're growing as quickly as we are has been one of our biggest challenges especially in london where there's a, a war on talent so employer brand is hugely important to us culture has been important to us from day one um, when we had two interns in our back bedroom we had a culture deck and <laughs> And, and and perks and benefits and we talked about flashback values. I think one of our, our key values is a founder's mindset and we give everybody equity in the business, um, whoever you are and whatever your job is. Do you? Because That's we interesting. Want, yes, we want everyone to share in the success um, in Flashback. And it is a roller coaster and it's not for everybody. It's, you know, you have to be extremely resilient. You have to have a certain mindset, a certain risk appetite to work for a startup. It can be overwhelming at times. Yes, it can be fantastic. You can progress your career quicker than in any corporate job. So huge opportunities. If a business is growing, it'll grow underneath your ambition. But some people can thrive in that environment and some people can't so we really want everybody to share in the success so that they can build that resilience mentally when we are going through um kind of tough pain points as we're scaling it's much easier when you're 17 people and when you're at 55 ensuring that everybody feels a part of the company really comes down to us as founders being very approachable so transparency is a is a huge value and what about the challenge of working together you've you've had a baby but this is your baby, isn't it? Flashback is your baby. So how do you how do you manage that relationship? Do you want to answer? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> 
So we have, a, we have a very strong relationship, which is great as founders, because it means that we can celebrate all the highs together. And there are many and it's you couldn't think of anyone better to celebrate those moments with. But also there's plenty of down moments and hard times and we can always be there for each other and help each other through that time. What we did really well in the early days, and we've stuck to it, is have clearly defined roles. So I've always built the brand, and Rada's always built the business. That's how we look at it. And if we wanted to get involved in each other's work, that would involve a meeting. And I could only have my opinion, um, but it it could be thrown away. (laughs) Okay, so you can each comment on the other's uh, area of responsibility, but you can't decide about it. Correct. Exactly. We have ultimate control over our area of the business and, and, and veto rights. Um, <laughs> and, and that's the only way we could find for it to work. You know, in the early days, we both got strong opinions on how the business should be developed and run. And we were stepping on each other's toes. Um, and when we sat down and said, OK, look, let's let's divide the business into these two areas. And we both take control. Um, we started playing to our strengths. And, and that's when I think we started really succeeding as a business. Having very different skills makes it much easier. Lee's extremely creative and has a creative vision for the business and I'm very strategic but as Lee said there are downtimes and I think they're the hardest moments because you can't escape them you can't go home and talk about something different like it comes home with us and now that we've had a baby gives us some boundaries in that when we're at work we're 100% at work and when we're at home we're 100% parents and and that's really it's really really nice because it forces us to disconnect from work. It's that old cliche, isn't it, of work-life balance. Do you, mm. think, do you think such a thing actually exists when your family is your business and your business is your family? For us, work-life balance doesn't exist and we don't strive for it. We don't believe in it. Like, work is our life and life is work. It's all one thing. Um, and I think the challenge for us is just ensuring that when we're with Anya, we're 100% with her and, and not talking about work. And when you're at home with Anya, you want to be all hers. But if you've had a hard day sometimes your mind can escape. So we are still trying to learn the best way to do that. Um, But I would say the last six months have have definitely been very, very hard. For me as a mum, I I definitely wanted to have it all. I wanted to run my business and be a mum. And that has been, that's definitely been challenging, but I'm I'm proud that I I did it and um, had that connection with Anya while I was at work. Um, But it's, and I think it's important for other women to see that you can have this really big and really messy life and there's room to accommodate all all of your ambitions at work and and home life. Mm. Um, you're very keen to say that flashpackers, are, it's not about being a single, mm. you know, singles holiday, but nonetheless, there must be lots of singles that come on it. And I'm just wondering if, if you've had any flashpack marriages. I did hear a story. Um, I've heard quite a few stories, actually, uh, but only one that I can say here. Um, <laughs> and uh, there was a, um, a, a, a woman who's been on 13 flashpack trips. So she literally took a whole year off and just did back-to-back flashpack trips. She must be your champion she flashpacker, is. She, isn't she? She really is. And this is why this story is so great, because on her 13th trip, she actually met someone and moved from the States uh, to go and live with him in Yorkshire. <laughs> so I know, it's brilliant. Um, so we're just waiting for our invite. How much travelling do you actually get to do these days? Do, do you still Can you still enjoy it, or is it work now? I suppose the irony of setting up a travel company is that we don't get to travel together very much at all. In fact, we've done one trip together, which was amazing, in Japan uh, last year, since we launched the business in 2014. 
What's really interesting, though, is, you know, we've set the business up so that as a solo traveller, you can go away with a group of people when your partner or friends are busy. And uh, and for us, now we're looking at going on our own trips um, or like the whole concept to go on a flashback trip by ourselves and taking that adventure away and then coming back back to family life and running a business again is quite appealing again. So hopefully at least Rada can get on a few flashback trips this year because I did about 20 in our first year. So I've more than had my fair share of adventures. What about the challenges ahead for the business? You talked about, you know, the big macro political challenges and so on. There are pressures coming with climate change and people are talking about carbon footprints. You know, how much of an issue might these elements be to you and what do you think about them? It's all about kind of mitigating any risks. So, for example, um, Sri Lanka was our best-selling trip till recently. Then it had a lot of terrorist problems. But now it's really back on its feet and it's our best-seller again. But we had 70 other products all around the world. Um, and, and then other trips started selling really well. But what about if, if travelling internationally ceases to be such catnip for people you know social conscience starts to kick in doesn't it climate emergency is that a concern for you people are always going to want to travel we have launched the flashpack foundation recently and our goal is to be carbon neutral within five years we're measuring our carbon footprint for every trip now and taking measures to reduce the carbon on each of our trips and then allowing the customer to offset their carbon um, in a really hassle-free way. And, and, and interestingly, customers actually want that, don't they? they? You know, it's another area that people really are thinking about. They are thinking about it. Another initiative we're launching is reducing plastic on all of our holidays. We're working with all of our suppliers to provide tanks of waters in, in all the minibuses so we can reduce um, single plastic bottle use. I think launching these initiatives are really important for our customers because they're never going to stop travelling, but they do want to feel less guilty about the impact they're having on the environment while they travel. Looking at all the trips that you offer, what is the most kind of wow of all of them? On our Peru trip, we climb this mountain called Rainbow Mountain. It's literally a the shade of a rainbow. It's beautiful but really challenging. Because of all my photojournalism, all the trips I went to, I'd be like, yeah, it'd be a walk in the park, no problem. And I was actually throwing up most of the way to the top of this mountain because I couldn't <laughs> cope with the altitude. It doesn't sound like much of a holiday. No, it wasn't. It was a challenge, really challenging. And the group I were with um, were, all, were all brilliant and we were kind of getting each other through it and we reached the peak of this mountain um, the sun was shining down it and you could see all these colours of a rainbow. And obviously I was taking pictures, just going photography crazy, posting them to Instagram. Um, but it was one of those moments where we all hugged and it was really emotional. Um, I would do that trip any time over and over again. What about you, Radha? I absolutely love South Africa. I went on a flashback trip with our customers. It was our insider trip, which is the first trip that we run to recce the destination. And we abseiled down Table Mountain on day two, which was terrifying but exhilarating and we all became fast friends and the next day we traveled to robin island where we learned about nelson mandela's time in prison and we were toured around the prison by a prisoner who actually shared a cell with nelson mandela and he said the only thing that kept them going was the view of table mountain and once they were free going to and having a beer on top of table mountain we had just abseiled that the day before and it was really incredible and then the trip kind of goes on. We travelled across the garden route. We went wine tasting. We went paddle boarding with penguins and we ended up on safari. What advice would you give to other founders who, who are just embarking on this journey, just starting out in business? I would definitely say do something you're passionate about, like love your product. If you're just doing it for the money, you're going to find the hard times 
all the more difficult. You just won't be able to get through unless you really love what you're building. I would definitely recommend finding a co-founder because it can be a really lonely experience in the early days, but it can also be quite a lonely experience as you've grown because unless somebody's walked in your shoes and they know the tough decisions you have to make, they'll never really understand. So having a co-founder who's got skin in the game and who's you know there with you really helps you get through the challenging times. It would feel very, very lonely if we were by ourselves and and probably no doubt it would have given up, I think, by now. Do you think? Yeah, 100%. On the holiday we took, which was the shall we give up break in Egypt, we were just going, no, we can both do it. Come on, we got this. We got a great business. Let's do it. We were kind of really getting each other kind of fired up for it. And we came home, we hit the ground running, and now we've built the business to 54 people and, um, and global. Do you feel like a success? For me, I didn't go to university. I wasn't the smartest kind of academically. So I've been on a mission since that point to kind of prove to myself that I can, I can do anything and achieve anything in life. I think entrepreneurship is the key in school. It's not something I was taught that you could do. If you couldn't do an exam, you were deemed not smart. But I think a lot of kids have the potential to be entrepreneurs. And it... I went on a path that led me to entrepreneurship, but I wish someone had been there going, this could be great for you. I think the common theme for me is encouraging people not to be scared to try their ideas, like really developing a culture where people embrace failure. That's where we've been successful. I think you're always so focused on what's next and the next stage and never quite satisfied with what you've achieved. I think the ultimate dream is when we're sitting on a yacht somewhere and we might feel like a success. Yeah, what is success? I think it's like it's like the challenging element of so taking on a, an industry we know nothing about. That's like, can we crack that? That will then feel like a success but then for me it would be like what's the next thing and what else could I be successful if I put my mind to it we see that Um, was going to be my next question because I reckon you've got more businesses in there haven't you probably not as many as Rada (laughs) I've got about three different business ideas I want to launch yeah none of which you're willing to tell me about today I dare say nor do I know if I'm going to take part (laughs) (laughs) she might drop you she might drop me yeah she might drop you I can take it as long as this business is successful fascinating it's been so interesting talking to you Lee and Thank, Thank you. Thank you for indeed. having us.